are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Today we are reading from John 18, 28 through 19, 16. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. 
He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Well, good afternoon. It's so good to be here with you all. You know, I asked my, uh, my oldest daughter this morning as I was preparing, and I said, do you have any wisdom for daddy? Do you have any uh, last pointers for me? And she looked at me, and she put her hands on her chin, and she said, Tom Brady is a really good football player. <laughs> and I said, Tom Brady is a really good football player. And I, and I found it so humorous yet so fitting that she would say that and interpret Tom Brady as being a really good football player because the truth, excuse me, the um, title of the sermon today is Truth Be Told. Now, I'm a philosophy teacher, so you're going to hear some quotes from some philosophers uh, today because I find it very interesting that in philosophy, most philosophers are searching for the meaning of existence, for the meaning of truth. You know, and Marcus Aurelius once famously said, everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. Now a popular question to ask and try and answer in our culture today is what is truth? It's a bit leading though, isn't it? Wouldn't you say? I mean, it assumes that this is something that is up for debate. And maybe we think that it is up for debate. I mean, how would you answer that question? Okay, how would you answer that question? And where would you go to find the answer? Even as followers of Jesus, we can be tempted to search for truth, and we can be tempted to search for meaning in all kinds of things. I know I certainly can. Here are what some famous people have said regarding truth. The truth is rarely pure and never simple. Oscar Wilde. There are no facts, only interpretations. Frederick Nietzsche. Whatever satisfies the soul is truth. Walt Whitman. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm pretty perplexed at some of these answers, but if you think about it, truth is searched for in many things in life. Relationships, religions, books, movies, video games, politics, poetry, pop culture, Instagram, Facebook, money, and so much more. So I ask you this evening, what is truth? And my hope is that as you sit under the preaching of God's word this afternoon, that God would help you to answer that question for yourself and for those who may ask you that question either this evening after you leave or in the coming days. And that in doing so, you would find rock-solid peace in who is truth. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, open our ears, O Lord, to hear your word and know your voice. Speak to our hearts and strengthen our wills 
that, may we, that we may serve you today, now, and always. Amen. As I said a moment ago, uh, the title of today's sermon is Truth Be Told. And what I've done is I've broken it up into three sections based off of the text that Kylia read. The first section being, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do so. The first section being the accusation. The second section being what is truth. And the third section being the result of truth denied, Christ crucified. So let us start with the first section, the accusation. So we're going to be looking at... um, John 18, 28 through 32, but before we dig into the scripture, I want to give you some context here. We have a few players in this story, as we just uh, heard read to us. We have Caiaphas, who served as the Jewish high priest in the, in the Jerusalem temple. He was also the head of the Sanhedrin. And knowing that the Jewish authority couldn't call for an imprisoned person to be put to death under their laws, they would need to seek out the Roman governor, enter Pilate who also acted as prefect and judge over Judea. So starting in verse 28, if you'd like to follow along. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. You see, because because, um, it was still the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Unleavened Bread, Pilate came outside of the temple to speak to the Jews in a place without a roof. Okay, because if the Jews would have entered into the palace, it would have been considered a Gentile home. And under its roof, they would have been declared unclean. So picking back up in verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them, because they couldn't come inside under the roof, and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die, which Jesus declared in John 12. So what then was the accusation? Well, we're told in John 5, 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. See, this in their eyes was considered unlawful, and it was considered blasphemy. Now, do you notice the irony that is occurring here? Okay, they consider this blasphemy, and they considered this unlawful. The Jews were so steadfast in keeping to the law that by accusing Jesus of this, it was actually unlawful. They couldn't enter the headquarters of Pilate because they would become unclean, but by condemning Christ, they were becoming unclean in the moment. And the Jews who called themselves righteous were actually unrighteous, And the one that they were claiming to be unrighteous with his claims, Christ, was in fact the righteous one. Now this leads us to our second section, uh, verses 38 through 40, what is truth? 
Verse 33 says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release a man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now Pilate misses, okay, in this moment, Pilate misses the magnitude of this moment. Pilate asks, What is truth? But like I said before, it isn't what is truth, rather it is who is truth. You see, the irony here is that Pilate was supposed to keep order, to delineate truth, and completely overlooks the fact that he has the living Son of God, the literal truth incarnate, sitting right in front of him, and he misses it. How do we know that Jesus is the truth? Well, if we flip back a few chapters, Jesus states exactly who he is to his disciples when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except, except through me. These are the direct words of Christ, speaking directly to his disciples, confirming that he is the way and the truth and the life. What is truth? Who is truth? Jesus is truth. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, he is the redeemer, king of all kings who came to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, my kingdom is not from this world. I am here to bear witness to the truth. There's that word truth again. Yet the one whose kingdom is not of this world, who is truth, would shortly be handed over to die. Now Pilate is asking, what is truth? I keep reading this over and over and over again, and I keep wondering to myself, why didn't Jesus respond to Pilate in the way in which he responded to his disciples? It would have been so easy for him to do that. Well, maybe it's because he was speaking to Pilate in a way in which Pilate could understand it better. You see, Pilate was not a man of God. He was a governor who was part of the most powerful nation in the world. To him, the kingdom of Rome was the highest and most powerful kingdom on earth. And yet Christ says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So then Pilate says to him, so you're a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king and for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice, and Pilate says, what is truth? 
Now, could you imagine looking at Jesus and asking that question? Right in the eyes, what is truth? I mean, Pilate was probably thinking, how does this person, this man, claim to be truth? Maybe because he wasn't just a person or a man. Rather, he was the God-man. That is the one true God who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, in his wisdom, in his power, in his holiness, in his love. Existing in three persons, Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Co-equal in power, co-equal in glory. Who desires that we should know him intimately and live a life of fulfillment through the pursuit of his glory. And this included Pilate. And this included the Sadducees. And all who were present. He wants us, he wants me, he wants you to ultimately and intimately know him. In this moment, however, they were so, there were so many people whose eyes were blinded. And did you notice that Pilate, in this, in this moment, he's posturing a bit? He's posturing a bit when he's talking to Jesus. He thinks that he is in control, Pilate. He's the governor. Rome has placed him here as prefect. Is in his palace that he's speaking to Christ. He thinks he's in control, yet he is blinded by his status and he is blinded by his power. He's looking at a broken man who is hurting and betrayed. But instead we have the God-man who is completely in control of the situation. It doesn't appear to be that way from his wounded and beaten appearance, but make no, make no doubt about it. He was in full control of the situation. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. I mean, what a comment. What a comment. What a response to say to Pilate, a Roman judge and governor. Jesus, in his way, if you think about it, he's putting Pilate in his place. He is putting Pilate in his place, telling him that his Roman Judea posting and the Roman Empire is nothing in comparison to his heavenly kingdom and his, king, and his kingship. Pilate's army, the Roman army, is nothing for Christ's servants, his angels, who could deliver him from the hands of the Jews if he chose to do so, but he didn't. What did he choose to do instead? He chose to finish the plan that the Trinity had set in motion before creation when Christ Jesus became a man without ceasing to be God. It was Christ who was born a virgin, who lived a perfect sinless life, who was falsely accused, beaten, and crucified, who died on a cross, then was buried, and then after three days was raised from the grave to redeem sinful humanity, to redeem you and to redeem me. That is truth. Christ is truth. Pilate was so blinded by his own ambitiousness that he missed Christ, the God-man, truth, standing right before him. He misses Christ. Now, it's easy for us to read this and see this fact, although, if you're like me, sometimes when I read the Bible, I say, how could they do that? Who are they? It says so right here. What were they thinking? Sometimes I miss Christ in my daily walk. And I think if we're being honest with each other, I would say that most of us miss Christ in our daily walk as well. We're so quick to point out flaws in other people's lives 
without recognizing our own shortcomings. We miss Christ, but I promise you, Christ does not miss us. And even though we can become blinded with things such as lust or such as food and drink or the over-pursuit of material goods or desired things others have over what the Lord has given us, we miss Christ. We can become lazy. I can become lazy to the point where we don't honor, I don't honor the talents that the Lord has given me. And my frustration, our frustration with others turns to bitterness, which turns to anger, and then leads to hate. And we miss Christ. I miss Christ. Or like Pilate, we become so self-absorbed, and our pride blinds us, and we miss Christ. I mean, do your ambitions sometimes blind you? Can you relate to Pilate? Do you miss Christ? The fact of the matter is that regardless if we are believers or non-believers, we all need Christ. Kingdoms of this world will come and go, but Christ remains forever. New religions will come and go, but Christ remains forever. Politicians, social trends will come and go but Christ remains forever. Pilate is saying, don't you know who I am? And Christ is saying, if you only knew who I am. And one of Christ's worst moments, Christ was at his strongest because he is in control, not going along with the will of the people. And as we see their rage and blindness to what was and is truth, Christ is rejected. And by being rejected, his glory is set on display, don't you see? As his loving act to redeem sinful humanity is almost complete with his death and his resurrection. Which brings us to section 3, chapter 19, 1 through 16. The result of truth being denied is eventually Christ crucified. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the Roman soldiers mocked him. And they took thorns and they twisted them and they made a crown. And they placed the crown on his head and they jammed it into his forehead until blood came out. And they mocked the fact that he said he was a king and they gave him a, a, a purple robe to wear. Symbolizing, symbolizing his royalty. And they broke him physically. And he willingly went through this pain and suffering on our behalf, knowing that the worst was yet to come. And then Pilate still says, I find no guilt in this man. Yet Christ's fate is again left in the hands of Pilate. And what does the angry mob say? Take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Pilate had the opportunity to let Christ go free in that moment, but instead of letting him go free, Pilate gives in to the crowd, not wanting to cause further upheaval. 
Pilate says to the crowd, should I crucify your king? And the Jews stroke his ego by saying, we have no king but Caesar. Making Pilate think that he is still in control. And the crazy thing here, though, is that Christ was still in control even after Pilate hands him over to the crowd, after he was flogged, after he was beaten, after he was ridiculed, after he was denied. Caesar is king? Wrong. Christ is king. And the Jews and Pilate reject this truth. They reject Christ, which leads to Jesus' crucifixion that ultimately frees us from our spiritual blindness. Church, rejection of truth leads them to crucify Christ, which is exactly what frees them and us from searching for the truth and life in other people, other places, and other things. Have you ever been rejected in your life on account of truth? It makes me think back to um, when I was in undergrad. I went to the I'm not boasting when I say this by any means, but while I was in undergrad, I was at the number one party school in the United States. And I was living a life that was uh, not glorifying to our Lord. I was not walking with the Lord. Instead, I was, um, I was giving in to sin. I was partying and I was doing things that you wouldn't want to tell your parents about. Um, I was bartending up all hours of the night. Again, not boasting, but I was, quote unquote, one of the big mans on campus. When I went out, people knew who I was. When I was in class, people knew, knew who I was. When I was at the bar, people knew who I was. That was my kingdom. And I liked ruling it. I loved ruling it. It wasn't until a few years after I graduated where Graciously, Christ softened my heart, and I accepted the Holy Spirit into my heart, claiming Christ as my Lord and Savior. And when I was in seminary, I was taking a class on evangelism, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is the truth, the same truth that I was told, the same truth that I had accepted, the same truth that I want to now live my life by. I need to tell everybody about it. I still need to tell everybody about it. So what did I do? I uh, logged into my Hotmail account, because that's what we had back then. And I think, who am I going to tell this to? Well, I thought that the closest person in my, closest people in my uh, life at the time is everyone that I went to college with, that I was having fun with, that, was, that I was in sin together with, and some of my high school friends as well. So 32 people I put on this email, man, and I wrote. I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. I beg you, I plead you, claim him as your king. I want to have more conversations about this. Do you call him Lord and Savior? And my hands were sweating, and I was nervous, and I thought to myself, okay, Lord, I'm going all in. I'm going to hit send. I nervously hit the send button. And literally within 60 seconds, Boom, 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 boom. Email after email after email comes through. Good one, Tom. Explicitive, explicitive. Funny guy, Tom. Such a prankster. Always up to, your, to, your no, always up to no good. 
Some things never change. April Fools. I am literally drenched in sweat at this point, and I think to myself, okay, I, know, I understand that I'm recognized as a bit of a prankster to this day. I'm not saying that I'm not, and I like to tell a joke. But what are the chances that I send that on April 1st? So here I'm having a, a dilemma. What do I do? Do I give in to the crowd? Do I reject truth? Do I say, you know what, guys? Totally joking. Totally joking. Did I kind of want that old kingdom a bit? I mean, these were the people living in it. Yeah, but I had the truth and they needed to hear it. So what did I do? I rolled up my sleeves and I hit him with it again. I said, guys, this is not a joke. Christ is not a joke. This is the truth. And I doubled down on the gospel and I pleaded with them. I pleaded with them to turn away from their sin and to tur turn towards Christ. And out of the 31 or 32 emails, people on the email that I sent, uh, those two emails to, I was rejected. I lost about 31 friendships. Because they called me a sellout. Man, you're a sellout. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? This isn't the guy we've known for a number of years. You think you're better than us? What a joke. This guy doesn't want to be fun anymore. Was it worth it? Yeah, it was worth it because one guy came to Christ. Not because of me, because Christ softened that person's heart. And along the way, they heard the message from myself and from others, and they accepted the Holy Spirit into their heart, and they claimed and do claim to this day Christ as their Lord and Savior. And over the years, I've had some of those friends slowly come back. Hey, Tom, what did you mean when you said salvation? Who is Christ? Yes, I would love to tell you about the truth. Praise God, I would love to. And I still pray to this day that Christ will soften the hearts of all of those who rejected me and rejected Christ. I pray for their hearts. I say, Christ, soften their hearts so they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. Forgive them. Forgive them of their sins. I pray that they would claim Christ as their king. I don't miss my old kingdom anymore. Sadly, I know that when I chose and when I, excuse me, when I choose sin outside of the truth, it is and was my sin that crucified Christ. And yet, he forgave me. Man, this is the king. This is my king. The one true God. The true God of true God, begotten, not made, who became fully human, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and made his dwelling among us, living a full life without sin. His perfect life and death on the cross provide the only atonement that satisfies the righteous requirements of God for me, the sinner. I sinned and sin against Christ, and yet I know that I am forgiven when I repent and go before the throne because... The death of Jesus Christ fully 
and finally paid for my sin. See, Christ's resurrection from the dead testifies powerfully to what truth is Christ, his deity. And it, is, and it, he is my only hope. This is the good news of Christ. Jesus Christ then ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God. Christ is truth because Christ is king. And he has come, and I promise you, he will come again. Do you know him? Have you placed your faith in him? If you call yourself Christian, are you still rooting yourself in your identity in the one who is called faithful and true? Let me encourage you and let's encourage one another to savor our Savior, to soak in his word, to follow him in every aspect of life. There is no one else, nowhere else, we will find truth like this, like him. And no one else, nowhere else, we will find the peace we find in him. In a king and kingdom that cannot be shaken because it is not of this world. You know, one way that we celebrate Christ being our king each week is taking communion. As citizens of Christ's kingdom, it is a declaration that King Jesus willingly died for our sins, taking our place on the cross. And we believe in his life, death, and resurrection. We claim King Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. When we take the bread representing his body and the juice representing his blood, we're taking it in remembrance of what he has done for us as we, as we wait for his return. Now, if you haven't accepted Christ into your heart yet, I would just ask you to remain in your seats today. Instead of taking communion, I'd ask you to instead consider taking Christ. And I'd ask you to invite him into your hearts as I did as your Lord and Savior. But if you aren't ready to do that today, that's okay. If you'd like to hear more after the sermon, myself, Justin, Edward, any members uh, of Surgeon would love to share Christ with you as it has been shared with us. If you haven't grabbed a communion cup, they're located uh, on a table in the back of the church. And when you're ready, eat and drink. And rejoice, for our King has come and he will come again. Will you pray with me? Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Sojourn, remember that we come not because we ought, but because we may. Not because we are righteous, but because we are penitent. Not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we are whole, but because we are broken. Come, for the Lord has prepared his table for all who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. All who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and whose desire to live in obedience to him as Lord are now invited to come with gladness to the table of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.